Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards. Sherry is at work on the SoundHealthPortal.com. If you'd like to know more, you may go to SoundHealthPortal.com, scroll down to see current campaigns such as fibromyalgia, PTSD, corona conflict, or a favorite of mine, neuroplasticity. You can scroll down a bit further to how to get a free report where you'll sign up for a free membership, choose the campaign you want to try, and the prompts will guide you through recording two 30- to 40-second recordings directly from your computer. I would say that it's great if you want to do this more, having something like the Samsung Go mic greatly improves the vocal input. It works on both Windows and Mac, and with adapters it can work from iPads and other tablets. And it's a great value, really improves the audio quality, and with everybody zooming these days, I really recommend it. Samsung Go Mic. You can find it at soundhealthoptions.com in the store. When you submit your report, Within 2 to 24 hours, you will get your report back by email. Sit down with T and review. And if you have a practitioner who's open to it, you could take the report to them and see what they say. See what they think. Well, let's look at this and look at that and see what is going on. When you want to know more about the Sound Health Portal, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, go to Classes, scroll down to Portal Presentations, and one of the more re- most recent demos will be at the top of that list, where Sherry's doing a live online webinar doing a vocal print of somebody in real time. And it's really great to see the portal in action because it's such a visual device now. It's really quite amazing to see the charts pop up with things that are just obvious, like, oh, we really want to look at that. It's really, I'm such a big fan of the Sound Health Portal. To hear and share replays of the show, the audio show, 15 minutes after I end of the show, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then Sound Health Radio, and the flyer for this show will be at the top with a link back to show notes and the replay, or now at the top of Sound Health Radio page, you will see the icon for the Stitcher app or for Pocket Casts. If you click on the podcast app I like to use, which is Pocket Casts, it will open a page and it will show you this. The podcast aggregator is a little slower. They may take up to an hour to get the show, but it will be at the top of the list. And with both of those apps, you'll be easily able to not only re-listen to it, and there's a lot of really great information here with Dale, you'll be able to re-listen to it and or share it to your friends easily. Both of those apps have ways to either click on dots or the three lines, and there'll be a share link. You can also find on iOS, the default app uh, for iOS is called Podcasts, and on Android, the default app is called Google Podcasts. And you can find the show, iTunes, any podcast aggregator, by searching for Talk To Me Guy, for Sherry Edwards, Those are the two best ones. And you'll find over 700 hours of shows. In this show, you'll hear Sherry asking some questions. 
This is a recording we did a few years ago with Dale that really surprised us at how relevant his information then is today. It's really great. And with that, Dale Carson, ex-police officer, has almost four decades of FBI, police, SWAT, and private investigation. Now Dale has the Dale Carson Law Firm with the motto, You Need Representation, Let Us Protect Your Rights. Dale joins us to share his experiences and ideas of how we can protect ourselves. Dale is the author of Arrest Proof Yourself. His book tells us how not to get arrested. He'll be providing the latest information about our rights and mistakes you may make with the authorities could land you in jail. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. How are you all today? We're going to have fun. <laughs> we were already starting rabble-rousing. I think you go in the, go in the hall of uh, you know pictures with rabble-rousers in such a positive way. <laughs> it's a good thing to have those voices out there. We were talking backstage, and I... I was saying how I didn't ever picture myself in doing radio and being one of those people was like, rah, 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 rah. But I guess we really need that. <laughs> and you're one of those people. I want to ask a leading opening question. In your many years in the law enforcement arenas, what are the changes? I guess what would be the top worst changes you've seen in the attitudes of what I would call street police? You know, this is going to sound really odd, but it used to be, that you could behave in a gentle fashion toward the public that you were supposed to protect and serve without getting harassed by other members of law enforcement or your sergeant or your lieutenant. I mean, people wanted you to be involved in, you know, doing positive things for the community. What has happened is we have become so ingrained in policies and conduct that each officer now is afraid to make, to be gentle toward the public and almost necessarily have to enforce vigorously any law that they observe being violated or in the case of a felony that a witness tells them you violated. And that's been the biggest change along with one other. And that's the, the multiplicity of laws that have been enacted that simply are not necessary for us to live in a polite society. When I lay my head down on my pillow at night, the last thing I worry about is some yokel out on the street driving his car who has a suspended license because he failed to pay a ticket or he didn't pay his car insurance or he failed to pay his child support. That is the least thing that I'm worried about. What I personally am worried about is somebody breaking, forcibly breaking into my house at night while I'm asleep in bed and hurting myself or my family. And so my position is now and always has been that that should be the primary focus of law enforcement, not the enforcement of what I call routine administrative traffic stops. And if you spell that out, that spells RATS, R-A-T-S. And, and it's just ridiculous. That was what the bulk of arrests are made on, is these routine administrative traffic stops where people are just driving down the road, minding their own business. Perhaps they leave their left turn blinker on for some reason. They get pulled over by the police. They don't even are not even aware that they have a suspended license, and boom, they go to jail. I mean, that is what our police are out there on the streets doing. Now, it's true 
that in some rare instances they're going to find a felon behind the wheel, and we're all going to be relieved that that felon is in jail. But for the thousands upon thousands of traffic citations that are issued just for these routine administrative traffic stops, it, it really – think about it. You're driving on the road. You're minding your own business. And repeatedly, you, because of your color or where you live or because of the type of car that you can afford to drive, you are constantly stopped by the police and asked us 99 questions. After a point, you're going to be irritated at police officers, and you're no longer going to believe that they are here to help you. I actually had a, a, a very – it was almost a year ago now. I was driving home at night, nothing, nothing weird, nothing bad, nothing anything, um, in a suburban area. And a police pulled me over, and they pulled me over because on my car there are three, there are three lights in the back uh, deck of this back seat. Well, actually, a, a main, you know, there's that little light in the center of the back rear window, and it was out. Sure. And he pulled me over, well, they pulled me over, and did the, you know, walk around the car, and my driver's window at that time did not go down. So I rolled down all the windows in the car. And was saying, you know, why explaining that. But the next thing you know, he's like looking in my car with a flashlight and he's asking if I mind if I look he looks around and I'm like, Why? And I, I know this area. I know that the police in this area are no, I can't use that word on air. Uh tough. <laughs> That's not what I want. You know, you know where exactly where I'm going. But you know, they're like, We're gonna get you and I'm thinking you know, here I'm a I'm an older or old heavy white guy. So I, it's not like I'm it isn't about the color, but it's not like I'm not a threat. It's not like I'm a big bruising muscular, you know, just you know, I'm just like an old guy. And it just blew my mind that, you know, supposedly he and he didn't even write me up for the taillight. He just wanted to basically exactly what you're saying, pull me over and sniff around my car. Well, as it happens in the state of Florida, you only have to have one rear taillight that operates. Now, of course, well, officers stop people all the time because the light's out, but it's an attitude check. That's really what it is. And what I'd like people to understand is the concept from 1950s and 60s has changed. And, and the concept is no longer serve and protect as much as it is do your job, arrest people, write tickets. That's what we do. That's what law enforcement has boiled down to. And I'll tell you a funny story. In in Fort Lauderdale in Broward County, we have red light cameras here in the state of Florida. And uh, one of the judges determined that the actual verbiage in the statute had not been met because, simply because, not because red light cameras are bad and are clear revenue generators, but because people in Texas who were actually reviewing the films of the red light cameras to determine whether or not the violation occurred. And under Florida law, it's got to be a sworn officer in the state of Florida. It can't be someone in Texas. So the judge threw out something like 25,000 tickets. This was in South Florida. That cost the government roughly $3.8 million. Now, when you talk about numbers like that, I know that that judge didn't make any friends of municipal government when he 
hurt their bottom line by $3.8 million. And really, that's where it all boils down. This is about revenue generation. There's an interesting study out of Tampa, Florida, one of the universities there, that has determined that issuing traffic citations at certain intersections as a mechanism for reducing accidents does not work at all. So the idea, the argument based on that study, that the argument that will we write traffic tickets to protect people from bad drivers, that's just a bunch of hope. It is a huge revenue generator for the city and, and more. What happens is when you're when police officers' pension funds are partly funded by money from insurance carriers, automobile insurance carriers. So if you get a ticket and your insurance rates goes up, guess who makes more money? Right? The insurance carrier. So it's all hooked in together in ways that we simply cannot perceive because it's so internally complex that most people are not really aware of what's going on. And was there when you, cause you were a, a Miami policeman that was at the beginning of your career as a law enforcement agent. I'm kind of guessing it was, it, it was. Yes. Okay. I was a, a, and, a and when you, and, Dade County. Okay. And when you were doing that, let's just say a number of years ago, was it really, was the, I've heard you use this phrase before, was it really a points game back then, or when did that start happening? No, 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 it was a points game back then. Okay. Um, but, but, but it has gotten increasingly so, simply because one of the clear mechanisms, what, what, what we all need to understand is that people who are street officers, think of Adam 12 back in the 70s, that was a big show, if you remember there were yeah. guys on, and they were street officers, and they went and they, they followed people and rescued people. They were heroes, really. And then it changed in, in Hollywood to the most important person in law enforcement is a detective. And when you look back on the American genre, I mean, you know, the British Sherlock Holmes really started this. The French, a fellow by the name of Lupine was their big uh, investigator. That that tradition follows forward. And I think humans just have this un- insatiable curiosity to solve crimes, to solve mysteries, if you will. So inherent in each of us is this desire to be a detective. Well, in law enforcement, detectives themselves are special. I mean, they're unique. They drive unmarked cars. They can dress like Miami Vice. Uh, they're in charge. They have a gun. All of those things argue toward that's what street officers want to be. I mean, in, in, in our lives and in their world, they want to be the detective. And the highest, of course, would be the homicide detective. Well, in order to become a detective in any department in the United States, you either know somebody on the inside who's just going to give you a shove that way or you've got to show your moxie on the street. And how does that happen? Well, you've got to solve crime. Well, how much crime is there for a guy riding around in a Plymouth to solve? And the answer is not very much. They're called windshield crimes. You see some kid run out of a store carrying a bag with him with the security guard chasing him. Well, that may be a petty theft, right? So that might be, you might make a petty theft arrest, but what the hell does that have to do with you solving a homicide? Not very much, right? Or you stop people in their cars and you find marijuana in it after you've um, arranged for them to voluntarily 
permit you to search the car. You surrender your Fourth Amendment privilege. So you arrest somebody for having a little reefer in their ashtray. Big deal. But cumulatively, that's the kind of thing that determines whether or not you're going to move forward into the detective bureau. So these young street officers who are full of testosterone and are competitive generally. Now, of course, there are women who work doing that as well. But these squads dimensionally are competitive with one another. So if my squad makes 100 arrests this month and your squad makes 150 arrests, who's the better squad? Well, that's a no-brainer, right? It's like scoring points. So the motivation behind every car stop, and you, if you know this as a citizen, this is where you have to pay attention because every car stop is a portal into the jail, into what I call the electronic plantation because once you're marked with that mark, you are permanently labeled as a miscreant, a bad person, and any employer seeing that record for an arrest will choose someone who has not been arrested. And the police is part of, so in the squad system, I have a follow-up question, but in the squad system, so it was always that way in terms of, and as you name, as you talk about movies, I think about all the movies, and I was thinking about that. So as a kid, when I grew up, we had... We lived. I lived in a small town and a somewhat rural area, so we had sheriffs, and the sheriffs sure. would drive around. But and when I was doing something stupid, every once in a while, nothing horrible, just something stupid, the sheriff would like come over and go, "What you know? What are you thinking? You know, it wasn't like he'd get right, out sure. of the car and throw you up against a, you know something and cuff you. He'd like go, "What are you thinking? I'm. You want me to talk to your mother? You know, really, it was that small, and." And you had a presence of police around. And so when I saw the sheriff, I felt okay. I didn't feel fearful. I didn't feel concerned. Now, back to my scene with the young policeman, young thuggish policeman pulling me over, I feel nervous and frightened like I have done something wrong and I'm in trouble. And that's weird, which, which leads to the question of, one of our audience members is asking of this is how do we deal with, how do you suggest dealing with like bully or that sort of over testosterone, you know, kind of police person, how do we deal with that? Well, I, you know, it's really more simple than you think. And, and it always amazes me, even with myself, I can, something will be going on or, or I misplaced something and it's right in front of me the whole time. Right. I asked my wife, I said, have you seen my wallet? She said, or, or worse, your glass. have you seen my glasses? Well, yeah, they're on your head. You know, it's something like that. And, and, and let me tell you exactly what it is. When you are driving a car, and this is just going to seem so simple, you are going somewhere, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the car, right? So where are you going when you're driving a car? And you can never... It's, not a, it's imprudent to lie to police officers. That's just never a good idea. But if I'm in the car going someplace, I just went down to a swamp that I have some property on down in South Florida, and I just drove down there. Had I been stumped by a police officer, I would simply say these words. Officer, uh, I was late trying to get to my property in Green Cove. Uh, before you stopped me, I am later now, okay, because I've been stopped. I would like to go, may I leave? Because we're always going someplace, to my grandmother's, my mom's, to the vet to take the dog, whatever it is, you're always going somewhere. And somehow, when the blue or red lights go on behind us, we forget what the heck we're doing, right? We think, oh my God, 
we're going to jail, which is certainly a possibility, but you've got to remember that you were going somewhere, and now someone in an official capacity is detaining you, stopping you from getting to where you were going. So when the officer walks up to you and says, Mr. Carson, can I see your driver's license registration, please? I hand him those documents, and I sit in the car patiently. He goes back, and he runs that information through the criminal network to see whether or not I'm a wanted fugitive, okay? Then he walks back up to me, and if I look the least bit, let's say I've got dreadlocks on, and I'm playing some Rasta music in the car. That gives the officer what we call reasonable suspicion to think that I might have some reefer with me, right? So the officer just looks at me and says, Mr. Peterson, I'm not going to write you a ticket today. And I go, man, that's great. But you're not new. You're, you're new to this area. What, what Do you live around here? And I figure, what the heck? He's not going to give me a ticket. I'll tell him something. So, yeah, I, I live right around the corner. He said, uh, you know, you don't have any guns or narcotics or lately cash in your car, do you? And I go, you're not an idiot, right? I go, well, no, officer. And then the officer looks at me square in the face. Now, remember, they're standing elevated to me. I'm seated in my car. They're looking down at me. they got a nightstick, mace, taser today, handgun, and worse, a radio. And they say, you don't mind if I search, then do you? And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, no, that's the wrong thing to say. Because in the United States, we are protected against warrantless seizures, except warrantless searches, I should say, except under the circumstances where there are exigent circumstances, right? Somebody's dying in the backseat of your car, they can search the backseat of your car or your house, and or you give them permission. And I have, just by saying no, I have given him permission to search my car. And let's just say that... Um, Charlie, my, the best friend of my youngest son, was in the car last night. He is taking Adderall because he is a little bit hyper, something I'm certainly against, not him being hyper, but taking medicine to modify the world for him. But he leaves some of that medication in the back seat. The police officer now finds it. What charge do you think might follow? Well, possession of controlled substance, Right. So he arrests me. I give him an explanation, just like I did you now. But he just says, you know what? I don't believe you. And that's all that it takes. I'm in jail. So we should never feel compelled to let people search our cars. Or worse, and let me just say this, because I've come to understand this dynamic lately. Your brain. How do they search your brain? By asking you questions, which you don't have to answer. Because they're an authority figure, we all go, you know what, I'll just answer that. Wrong. That's a search of my brain. And he doesn't have a warrant. He doesn't have a right to do that. Yet I am so naive about my own rights and my own authority that I simply surrender to him to make things easier because he says he's not going to give me a ticket. Well, yeah, he doesn't give me a ticket. He just puts me in jail. And does it... With these, uh, back to the over-testosterone types, because you're in, possibly in his mind, I'm thinking about it as a competitive, like in a sports situation. If you go up against somebody who's a big, a big, it's a big bruiser, and you say no to them, oftentimes they react badly. 
Now, right. and, so how, and, how, and how do we, how is your, that? Go ahead. No, no. But that's why many people are putting cameras in their own cars. You know, you can buy for a fairly modest price these cameras that actually record information. You always have to be careful about recording police officers. That could land you in some troublesome dynamic. But, of course, in life, you will run across bruisers, people who are bigger than you, people who are angry, people who who consider themselves in a position of authority. But you use the same techniques with that officer that you would use toward those people. Always use your manners. Never shout out at them or be rude ever, because all of that does is potentiate the problem to turn out very, very badly for you. Because remember, police officers on the street are the most powerful people in this country. They held in their hand, in a handgun, your life or death. Now, people don't look at it that way. I've had arguments with big federal prosecutors who say, no, 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 a federal prosecutor is the most powerful person in the universe. And I'm like, that's garbage. A police officer on the street armed with a handgun, if he fears imminently for his own death or great bodily harm or the death or great bodily harm of someone else, he has the authority to plug your ticket right then. And so if that happens, I mean, he, he could be, he can at once be a lifesaver, someone who can pull a child out of a burning car and he can also be someone who is licensed to shoot and kill someone who is threatening to do the same to him or someone else. That is power. That's really true. I mean, we think of you don't ever, you know, you don't go into court and the judge doesn't shoot you. That the, you know, the officer on the street really, ha- you know, in his job is the decision maker at that point in time. So it if it goes awry... True. Wow. Wow. I'd like to go back. Go ahead. Can I go Go back to the car station? Where you're saying um, you don't have anything in there, and you say, no, okay, you won't object to me searching. What do you say at that point to keep him out of your car? You say, officer, like I said, I was going to my mother's. She's 82 years old. I meet her every day at noon. I am late right now. May I go, please? You didn't, you know, it's interesting, Sherry. When I was dating, you know, and I would ask some young lady out, I would say, uh, Darlene, would you like to go out? And she'd say, you know, I know your brother. He Didn't he go to school over there? She never answered the question, right? She never said, no, I won't go out with you. Yes, mm-hmm. I will go out with you. That question was never answered, right? And so that's the same thing you need to learn to do with people who, don't have a right to the information or the activity. So it's just a skill set that you ladies really do have, right? Where you just change the subject and, and you never answer the question. He has, <laughs> although he can ask you the question, he has, you have no requirement, there's no requirement that you give him the answer, right? But you're uh, certainly somebody... not going to say, yes, you can search my car. Would you like to search my brain as well? Ask me 50 questions. I'll give you truthful answers like I'm under oath. And that's another problem with law enforcement today. If you lie to a police officer or you lie to an FBI agent, it's a crime. Who ever heard of such a thing? Do we expect 
bad people to always tell the truth? <laughs> Give me a break. Uh, somebody gave us a link, and we're looking at it now. Statement for the police. I write silence and just really say exactly what you're saying, and let's bring it home here and say, Officer, I, if you want to detain me, tell me why. I could read it here. Um, I can leave unless I'm detained or arrested. If I'm being detained or arrested, I have a right to know why and right to speak privately to a lawyer without delay and if I can't afford to pay. Uh, this is a really nice statement just everybody should have in their head. Why have you stopped me? Um, and sometimes for nothing. You know, there's another side to this, too. We had a guy come into our offices, and he was acting up pretty strangely. And we called the police because he wouldn't leave. Then he turned around and sued us, um, and the police would not give us a copy of that report unless we gave him the guy's Social Security number. We didn't even know who the guy was, much less his Social Security number. So what right do we have on the other side of that, that if something does happen, um, what can we say to the officer's um, boss? What can we get out of the police department? What are our rights over there on that side? Well, well you know, Getting reports from the police department is becoming increasingly difficult, and it depends really on your state. In the state of Florida, we've got what's known as the Sunshine Law, which prohibits government officials from keeping secrets. Now, it only works to a limited extent, of course, but you can force them through the Freedom of Information request or a public records request to give you that information. But it's simply another step that you have to take in order to acquire what's rightfully yours. And, you know, this is where video is really coming into its own. Now, it is illegal to record people's conversations, but so far it's not illegal to record their conduct. So, you know, having a video in your place of work, in your home, uh, you know, in certain areas, uh, and in your car is just absolutely not a bad idea because you can use that to protect yourself from false allegations. In my my building, I have um, actual cameras inside the elevators. And soon after we put them in, someone claimed that uh, they fell. And you could see clearly on the elevator video that that was not true. So that's one way to protect yourself. But getting back to the car stop, when you tell an officer, when you, one of the dangers with a police officer in giving them back what they have given you, in other words, telling them that you know the law better than they do, creates a tension, a conflict, basically an adversarial situation. What I'm suggesting is avoiding that adversarial situation by saying, I don't have to talk to you. I have a right. You know, I know what my rights are. Who are you to tell me? Why did you stop me? All of that is confrontational. Remember, the police officer, when they stop you on the street, they are in charge, not you not some author of a book who says this is the way you should handle this. The officer is in charge, and if you indicate to him that you don't believe he's in charge, you've created and intensified a conflict that doesn't need to exist. And all I'm simply saying is that when you get stopped and there's a request to search your car, the answer is no, 
but no in the most polite of ways. And that is simply to say, oh, officer, you know, I was late when you stopped me, and now I have this $158 ticket, so I'm going to have to work harder to pay it. But I do need to go. My mama is waiting for me. Or whatever it is, I've got to work out. I'm meeting my trainer at whatever it is, the truth now. Don't don't fabricate something. I'm going to the sheriff's house, something like that, but, but tell them the truth. And then just wait. You know, Americans, it's really funny. If you put somebody in an, in an interview interrogation room and you just sit there and look at them, you know what eventually will happen? Because I've done this on a number of occasions. They will start talking. Americans hate to have silence. So when you're in that situation with the officer, just don't say anything. Just look, but do not look aggressively. Do not smirk at him. Don't do anything that will intensify the situation. You simply want to go, right? And you don't have to answer the question of, do I have guns, narcotics, or money in my car? And you don't have to permit him to search because you're a U.S. citizen. You know, it's funny. In in 74, we were doing this constantly, okay? Only recently, recently, I'm talking about within the last two years, there's a Supreme Court decision that says you, the law enforcement officer cannot delay you in a car stop any longer than it takes to write a ticket. So we figure that's about 15 minutes, right, to write the actual ticket. If he delays you beyond 15 minutes, for any reason at all, a competent attorney, defense attorney, may be able to get the entire rest of that matter thrown out. So let's say he detains you to write you a traffic ticket for having the taillight out in your car. He writes you that ticket. And while he's doing that and he's giving you the ticket, that's the time that you, that's the length of time that he is permitted to keep you stopped, to keep you from doing what an American citizen gets to do. So if he keeps you beyond that period of time, again, 15, 20 minutes, to wait for a dog, to have other people search your car, to interview you on the side of the road, all that stuff, likely we can have that thrown out. And when the Supreme Court gave that decision, it referred back to a case in the 1970s which said, we told you then you couldn't be doing this. Well, 70 to 2010, think about that. That is 40 years. Police officers have continued to do what the Supreme Court says you shouldn't have, they shouldn't have been doing 40 years ago. That's pretty slow. But the That's pretty amazing. That is. I'm like, what? So now they can make excuses. Here's one of the excuses law enforcement uses to search your car. They arrest you. You got a suspended license. They didn't like your attitude. They claim that you resisted them or spit at them or whatever it is, which, by the way, spitting at a police officer these days is a felony, right? Biologic fluid. So. Anything like that, you go to jail. Well, they can't leave your car there unless they inventory it, right, to make sure nothing gets stolen. Well, an inventory is another word for a search. The upside is you never want to irritate a street police officer, and you have to treat them like almost like family that you don't want to agitate. And, and use your common sense and not agitate. Never, never accuse them of something. If you get away without being arrested, you've won, okay? You will not win by showing off your knowledge of the law 
in front of the officer and your family while they're sitting in the car. That is not how you win. You win by going down the road without becoming a statistical accomplishment for the officer who wants to be a detective. So you really have to treat so you really want to treat police officers like your cranky uncle at the holiday dinner. No, that's exactly right. That's so well put. Yes. Yes. And and there's more. This is not the fault of the street officers. Most street officers want to do the right thing. They want to serve and protect. They want to help the little old lady across the road or the little old man like myself now. The point is, it's the administrators who say we want you to enforce all of these ridiculous laws that I've termed rats just because that's what you do, when what we need to have them do is focus on the really bad people in our community, identify first who they are, and then set traps for them to catch them and put them away permanently so I don't have to worry about somebody breaking into my house at night, raping my family members, all those kind of things that I really do concern myself with, an armed robbery, a murder, an aggravated battery, uh, an auto auto theft or a hijacking, a carjacking, all those kind of things are things that should concern any good group of people in a community. But instead, we are, are, are just taxing them and taxing them and taxing them with these $158 traffic tickets. I mean, that's ridiculous. And we don't need to do that because what law enforcement truly is designed to do is to protect and serve. And if administrators understood that fully, they would simply task these individual aggressive but talented young police officers to go out and really identify the bad eggs in our community and get them away from the rest of us. And do you think that's aided by, that would be aided by if we had more police, what I call wandering around? I mean, in, in my, back to Adam 12, we're all old enough to remember Adam 12, that in that image, there was a lot of time of police walking around in the community. Right. You know that's a and, great argument. And they had and they had relationships with the community. They were known. Maybe they were a little feared. Maybe they were thuggish, or you know, maybe they were that other word. However, they still were like in the community, and they knew people. Right. So they we don't part. do that anymore. Uh, particularly in the South, police officers are in the air, their air-conditioned police cars. The windows are not down. Uh, they ride from one service call to another, uh, and they look for traffic violators. That's what they do. And, and that is just not a good idea. I think law enforcement having them like, remember the Norman Rockwell uh, painting of the police officer, he's a little overweight, he's sitting on a stool in a uh, drugstore um, Sunday um, soda fountain, and uh, there's a little kid with a stick with a wrapped up a handkerchief around it because he's running away from home, and uh, the officer's try, buying him a malt or a chocolate milkshake, trying to talk him out of it. That is what law enforcement basically should be, okay? Now, now what it has become, you remember when the uh, Attorney General of the United States sent that poor child back to Cuba? And uh, Oh, yes, the, yes, uh, yep. There's a great picture of him looking scared to death with a, with a federal agent with a machine gun grabbing him from his father to take him and send him back to Cuba. That is what it has become, and and certainly street officers don't intend this. One thing about 
male street officers is they follow instructions really well. You tell them to do something, they're going to listen to you, and they're going to do it. And so I don't fault the individual police officers with this over-aggressive multiple arrests for minor offenses because it's not their fault. It is the fault of administrators who are not very forward-thinking because in my my estimation, the racial uh, difficulties that this country is now facing is in measure created, in, in some measure, created by this constant harassment of inner city and the poor. Now, you understand why, because where do most police officers patrol? The answer, where the crime's high. And, and while they're in areas where the crime is high, they are constantly putting people in jail for car violations. You know, it, it would be one thing, I don't know whether you've ever been to Paris or other countries, but, you know, there's good mass transit. Not everybody has a car. I mean, there are just infrequent car stops in other countries. Here, it's, the, it's de rigueur. It is the standard that police officers are going to stop cars for speeding or whatever the violation is, and that's a large measure of the enforcement in the United States is car stops. And in my mind, we could eliminate them entirely, except for people driving recklessly, people driving while intoxicated. Those things, obviously, you got to handle that. And those people don't deserve to be among the rest of us. But candidly, if they focused police officer energies and the use of computers, the use of different technologies and techniques to strip out away from the rest of us these really bad eggs that are causing the problems in our community. Jacksonville, Florida has one of the highest murder rates in the country. So all of these traffic stops, all of this intense enforcement in the inner city areas has served, in my estimation, no purpose at limiting the most important crime, which is murder. And is this murder by – so the, uh, in these murder situations, I had such a different question. Uh, but are the, in these murder issues, is this because this is in the process of basically you know, holding people up? Is that kind of how – you're not just talking about gangs like killing each other, you're, or, or is it just a combination of everything that there's such a high murder rate? You know, it's a, it's an, this is an easy out for me. It's a combination of everything. But the truth of the matter is this, that the gathering of intelligence, the determining of a mission, where do we want to be in our community when it comes to crime? We don't want residential burglaries, right? We don't want rapes, homicides, aggravated batteries, carjackings. There are a number of things that we can all agree we don't want, okay? And we need to develop methods for addressing those problems because those are the real problems. The real problems are not some young guy underage driving a car, okay? It, 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 it's, it's these other things. And out of those other activities, those crimes, those the evil people, that's where the murders, that's the inception of those murders, how they originate. People get mad at one another, whether they're in gangs or families, or it doesn't really matter. You know, we have drive-by shootings. All of those kind of things emanate from a cell group of people who are just basically evil. 
you know, yeah, you can make the argument that they grew up without all the advantages that some people did grew up with, that they're not educated, that they're not, they don't have good, stable families. And those are all valid reasons for why the crime is high. But, okay, let's fix that. You know, one of the fascinating problems that has, has come to my mind as I've begun research for this new book is that, you know, if we're ever going to stop ISIS, if we're going to stop groups like that who hate us, criminals, they, they feed off the society. So they want society to continue to prosper. Those people, the really evil people who just want to kill everybody, they don't have to worry about living in society. And, and so they can't be tracked easily. And if we as investigators, as law enforcement, can't find out who the bad guys are in our own communities and get rid of them, how on earth are we expected to protect ourselves from people like ISIS who just want to kill us? I mean, I, I, we've got, you know, we, we, stopping cars is not going to be sufficient to stop that group. And this sure. all argues for a re, rehandling of our, our, just our goal structure. How do we want to get, where do we want to be, and how do we get there? Now, I'm going to go a slightly different direction, although this fits right in with what you're talking about. Well, I've noticed for quite a while, there's this amazing increase, at least from my view. I'm old. I'm old enough. I remember Andy Griffith's show. That's how old I am. Sure. And, and so I see police today, and particularly in urban areas or in some settings, police are looking more like military people. In terms of their outfits, their rigs, they've got guns. I don't know much about guns. The big, nasty-looking guns strapped across their chest. They're not looking like police. Like we had the, you know, in, south of uh, San Francisco, we had the Super Bowl. I think that's what it was. And they had a big event in San Francisco, and the police wandering around guarding that event were fully rigged, and they looked like they were military. I mean, they had the right. helmets on. They had the, Incredible militarization. militarization. You know, but but you got to understand men, and you do. Oh, wow. Obviously, you're you're a guy. Men, first off, if it looks cool and if it's uh, if it uh, sounds cool, makes noise, looks tough, boys <laughs> want it, right? So when the federal yeah. government started all this stuff of giving this stuff away free, I mean, hello, free and cool. All right, well, there it is. But you're exactly right. The overmilitarization of police has given us all some pause. I mean, recently in Gainesville, Florida, a group were, were, were doing some work that involved the use of an armored vehicle, and they actually pulled over traffic and, and made a traffic stop. And uh, everybody would just went crazy. Here's a, a military vehicle with actual police officers attired, as you just described, pulling over a citizen driving a car in in a residential or in a business area. I mean, so, yeah, it is a big thing. And I think we have sort of lost our way. And, and it's really unfortunate that we reestablishing the way we ought to treat, identify criminals and treat criminals, in other words, get them away from the rest of us, we've just lost our way. We're not doing that like we used to do it. And part of it is because it's not... If you sit down tactically in a, in a room gathering intelligence 
and putting together uh, trees and uh, uh, connection trees and flow charts, it doesn't look like you're doing anything, right? Yet if you're out on the street and you got your blue lights going and some some hapless yoke is being arrested, everybody thinks, well, the police must be doing their job because the one shows action. I mean, there it is. That's real action. We know the police are working. When the real effort to protect the community comes from the use of intelligence, and today we have techniques and technology, particularly computerization, that helps us do those things. I don't know whether you had an opportunity to look at the videos that I sent you, but there's a really interesting video of some Japanese fellows chasing um, an escaped chimpanzee. And, and that, in my mind, is what law enforcement is doing today. You know, and it's 50 guys in little white outfits with safety hats, and they're chasing this monkey that's climbed on top of some high-tension wires, and they chase him around. Finally, they shoot him with a dart. And, but it takes 50 people to arrest this or to stop this one chimpanzee. The other video that I sent you is a video about a guy in uh, the African desert, and he's trying to find uh, water because he doesn't have any. So what he does is really fascinating. He goes to a, a termite hill. He pokes a hole in there that is just small enough that a chimpanzee can reach in there. But if he grabs something that's inside this particular termite mound, he grasps his hand. He can't get his hand out. So the the hunter simply puts some melon seeds inside this hole that's in the termite, which is a hard surfaced area. And the monkey, just being curious, as this particular monkey is, he goes up, he grabs that, reaches in there, he grabs the melon seeds, he knows what those are and he wants them. But the guy can just walk up to him and put a leash around him and take him away. And he feeds him salt. And after a period of time, the monkey gets really thirsty, obviously, and then goes to where the secret water hole is. Well, in a similar way now, he could wait right there and catch every monkey in the entire area because they're all going to that water hole, right? So in a similar way, we've gotten to become sophisticated in identifying the bad guys in our communities and creating interesting traps for them, if you will, so that when they come to engage in criminal activity and we know who they are, we can simply remove them from the rest of us. I think that policing is better spent doing that. Now, the other purpose of policing clearly is service calls. Somebody's hurt, somebody needs help, those kind of things. And I consider that separate from this investigative arena. One is to, to serve and protect. The other is to protect us by getting the bad people out of, away from the rest of us where we are not going to be hurt or subject to worry and fear. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question from the audience that keeps coming up and I, I want to move in this direction. It has to do with the TSA. How do we deal with the TSA when it comes to travel and interface and they just, no, I'll just ask that question. I have a bad attitude. You know, <laughs> so. the answer is, the answer is drive your car. Don't fly. <laughs> and, 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 and that is the only way yeah. that I'm aware of that I have a friend who is a lawyer and he lives in Colorado. He's a prepper. And uh, he was sexually assaulted, and he stood there, and he said, do not touch me and my genitals. And, of course, they immediately did that. Now, under any other circumstance, 
you could have charged that TSA agent with sexual assault, right? And, and until we stand up to that sort of mistreatment, uh, which he tried to do, by the way, unsuccessfully. I mean, the police were standing right there. They saw what the DSA uh, agent was doing or the, the, the searcher was doing and did nothing to protect this attorney. And the only way that I know to protect yourself from this invasive conduct is simply to not fly on a plane. Uh, to me, it's appalling what they are able to do on a standard context outside the framework of security to get on a plane. Uh, it would never be permitted, and these individuals would clearly be arrested if they touched you or your, your companions in certain areas. The TSA has been given permission to do traffic stops, and I think it's the governor of Georgia gave them maybe it was Tennessee, can't remember, gave them permission to work throughout the state, and they are stopping people in uh, barricades. They aren't looking for anything. They are just doing TSA things like they did at the airport, but they're doing it at the border. They're doing it with uh, big trucks. They're confiscating lots of money and not giving it back. Have you heard anything about that? Oddly enough, I have. And here's what I, I can tell you. Um, the TSA, uh, Director of Homeland Security, wrote a letter to the sheriff of Jacksonville, Florida, know those people personally. And uh, in that letter, the sheriff of Duval County, uh, a fellow by the name of Rutherford, was a personal friend. And he and I, uh, he's no longer in office, uh, and one of his uh, cohorts has taken over. But uh, the head of Homeland Security wrote a letter and said that they would like to start stopping people on the highways in uh, Florida, particularly in Duval County, which is a, a fairly large city. And we would like to do that, and we would like one of your officers, one of the Jacksonville Sheriff's officers, to assist us in doing that. And... To his credit, Don Rutherford wrote back and he said, if you try to do this, I will put an officer with each of your groups and that officer will be instructed to tell the drivers they do not have to stop and they may leave right now. Great. Wow. So Is he still employed? I mean, there's the difference. Wow. Well, sure. I mean, he was the elected sheriff. Sheriffs are elected here in Florida, in Jacksonville, rather. Well, in Florida. Uh, now, Dade County is an exception. There are some areas where, they're, where the uh, chief law enforcement officer is appointed, but at least in Duval County and most of the counties around here, you wouldn't get away with that. And nor should they. That is, what, that is one of the worst fears that we all have is this over-federalizing of local law enforcement. Federalizing of local law enforcement. And it is something that gives everybody pause. Because then you don't your your laws are not being enforced by people who live here and work here and are part of this community. Uh, your laws are being enforced by people who have a mandate from the federal government to do whatever they want. And under what basis? On what basis would TSA stop you? I mean, I have no idea. They have no authority, no jurisdiction, unless somebody like a governor would confer that jurisdiction. Trust me. I, I, what would you do if they did stop you is the broader question. 
And the answer is, is to do what I have suggested in my book, which is to behave, use your manners, don't go crazy, and do not agree to a search. And if they, if you don't comply, they have a right to shoot you? Well, you know, that's something I, I, I don't I, – I can't imagine. That, 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 is, that is a nightmare for me, the very thought of that, Sherry. Uh, and I suspect part of the problem, and everyone who's been a police officer understands this, part of the problem is the one witness that would say that's not true and that didn't happen that way is dead. You right? So it's the police officers that will be providing the testimony. They're alive and hello, they have a vested interest in not becoming the target for a grand jury indictment, right? So the upshot is that you just had better behave yourself and know that at least in Duval County, which is Jacksonville, Florida, the sheriff has stood by its citizens and said, his citizens, we're not going to allow that. That's insane. Don't even, telling the, the director of Homeland Security, don't even think about that. Because that's not happening on my watch. What do you do when you get in a situation like happened with Boston, where they ran people out of their homes without baby food, without bottles, without insulin for people? How do you handle that? You, in terms of this search for the... The Boston Barnes, is that what we're talking about? Yes. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 they can't do that. Now, the fact that they, they can't do it, be, I understand. They can't do it. There's no authorization for them to do that. The The only authorization is, is the thing I talked about originally in our conversation is the circumstance of exigent circumstance, dangerous circumstance. Something horrible is happening. But, you know, Here's the part of the problem. We as Americans, and I'm guilty of this, Sherry. If somebody were to ring my door bell, I would go open the door, right? That's what I would do. I live in the South, and, and somebody knocks on your door, provided it's not 2 in the morning, I'm going to go open the door. Well, I have created a problem, right? Because now if it's law enforcement on the outside, I'm going to get 20 questions. The only way I know to avoid that is to simply not respond in the traditional ways to somebody hammering on your door and knocking on your door and that sort of thing. Your, your home is, in the eyes of the U.S. Constitution, your most sacred place. And in that respect, you have the most protection you will ever have from government is in your home. I mean, some of that is now these arguments are raging about our cell phones. Does the government have the right to get into our cell phones? I store more information on my cell phone than I do in my house. So the, the question is, and the answer ultimately is, you do not have to open the door. And if you open the door, you're inviting a problem. So, you know, I highly recommend that you just, when you're confronted with government, they don't have any right to do certain things. But if you open yourself to them, they're liable to engage in activity that, in hindsight, you would go, why did I do that? I didn't have to do that. I'm angry that, that they threw me out of my house. Well, of course you are. That's where you have the most protection. But the problem is the corrective cycle is to hire a lawyer to sue them for violation of your civil rights. Well, the problem is, in a circumstance like this, Sherry, what are your damages? You got thrown out of your house for a day? 
what kind of damages are those? The, the 1983, which is Title 18, Section 1983, civil rights violations, deals primarily with people being shot, killed, raped, murdered, all of those kinds of things, not being thrown out of their house, which is a, a violation of another uh, a quartering act. You know, you're not the, the law enforcement, I mean military or the police can, cannot quarter, meaning be in your house uh, without compensation. So there are all kinds of things that go on, but the bottom line is you've been inconvenienced by their activity because you were naive enough to simply permit them to come into your house. Wow. Well, we have to close, and I have. there's so many more questions. Your new book, I want to know about that. Well, it's, it's, just, it's about some of the issues we talked about, and one of the most interesting, and I'll leave you with this, was the use of computers to charge people now has created an immense problem for overcharging of citizens, the use of computers. So more on that later, and I'd love to come back and talk anytime, Sherry. I enjoy your program and what you do for, for the rest of us. Thank you. I have to add, I'll add a little personal commentary on that, that one of my current gripes about that, just exactly what you're talking about with computers, is what people really need to understand about backdoors and computers or phones is that if you build a, a backdoor, like was suggested that that be done, that's a backdoor available to anybody with skills. So if you build it into the that's system, exactly right. that just opens the system to allow anybody that's smart. And I mean, you know, they might have to be really smart, but there are a lot of people out there that are really smart. That opens yeah, the system sure to, to everybody. Pass, be sure to password protect your phone and your computers. Yeah. Let us know the moment your new book comes out. We want you on the show, absolutely. I will absolutely do that, and it's always a pleasure to speak to you all. Keep up the good work. You too. Thank you so much, Dale. I knew it was going to be, uh, you know, pedal to the metal. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a conversation. Um, all right, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks again, Dale. Bye-bye. You too.